0: Gospels that were not in the epistle of Philippians. Thought we were going there, and you were just as surprised as I was. The Lord said, no, we don't want to go there tonight.
1: We will pick it back up, Lord willing, next week we'll see what the Lord does, but Lord willing, we'll go back
0: to it again and see that second message on purity that I want to pick up on, but... Well, it's thinking that this is um, Resurrection Week, and I thought it would be appropriate tonight if we saw something from that particular week uh, that unfolded there in the Bible. If, uh, if you want to take some time to read about the last week of Christ, then you might read Matthew 21 through 28. Mark 13 through 16, Luke 19 through 24, or John 12 through 21. It's a lot of chapters, isn't it? A lot of chapters. In those chapters, you have over,
1: uh, and I'm, I think I'm underestimating here, but um, I'm, is that you have
0: over 40 historically recorded events or different types of teaching that Jesus does in the last week of his life. We almost, in that last week, we almost have an hour-by-hour record of what Jesus is doing. We don't seem to really miss too much of Jesus' life. Other parts of the Gospels, a lot of times we're not for sure where we're at or what's going on or how long it's been between one thing or another, or perhaps only the thing that we have a point of reference might be a... uh, a feast or something like that, but here it's day by day. Uh, you see, the language in Mark is very clear. It says, "and um, after that day, and then the next day, and then the next day." Um, you find that Jesus's life is very important. People's last days are always very intriguing, aren't they? Where he says, "What were they doing in their last days?" Well, there's no question what Jesus was doing in the last days of his life. It's all recorded for us. And what's intriguing to me is that Jesus is that Jesus, though he knew uh, the consequences, and though he understood the repercussions of his actions, to preach the word of God and don't don't get that don't ever think anything different of that. That's what Jesus did the last week of his life. He preached the word of God. He only has one recorded miracle in his last week. And that is the cursing of the fig tree. And that is actually a message that he does. He curses the fig tree in order that he might preach a message. So it's really, he doesn't, doesn't do the miracles for a
1: uh, for miracle's sake, you might say. Uh, the last two miracles of Jesus are astounding miracles,
0: no doubt. Before the last week of his life, they are um, healing blind Bartimaeus and the other blind man as he's going through Jericho. And then he also heals Lazarus and raises him from the dead. Probably some of the most astounding miracles that He does in His ministry. But nonetheless, Jesus is going through Jerusalem. He's in the hub of Judaism. He's in the hub of Phariseeism and the Sadducees and the Herodians. And He's preaching the Word of God and He knows that they don't like it. The leaders don't. The priests don't. This huge chunk of teachings that comes to to
1: us comes in the last week of his life. Just read um, John 12, 13, 14, 15,
0: excuse me, John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. Those are all the the teachings of Christ, chapter after
1: chapter after chapter. So there are many events that we could focus on uh, in the life of Jesus in his last week,
0: but we'll only have time for one of those here this evening, and that's found for us in Mark 14 and verse number 12. But the last week of Jesus' life is perhaps, if you want to say it this way, I don't know that any part of Jesus' life was not well-orchestrated. He knew exactly what He was doing all the time. But if there's a place in God's Word, where we might say in the Gospels, where Christ's life is just really simplifies a well-orchestrated life, a life where Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. You can see almost Jesus in this last week calculating every move that he's going to make as he goes through the life, through Jerusalem. He's in the very midst of treachery and deceit. He knows his defector will at any time, could at any time reveal where he is at. Judas may at any moment, it seems like, just pounce and tell the Pharisees where to find Him. He knows the priests are ready to pounce. But through it all, it's interesting if you study the last week of Jesus, is that He's got everybody in confusion.
1: I mean, even even whenever the Pharisees come to Him and question Him, uh, He confuses them.
0: They think that they're going to be able to give him a a question that he's not able to answer. And uh, he answers right away. No, there's not even a fault with it. It's just boom, right? They're not even a sigh. He answers the questions and he confuses them. They don't understand what he's doing. And through all of the last week of Jesus' life, and this is the story that we're going to highlight tonight, is uh, of Jesus getting ready for the Passover and seeing this, and telling his two disciples to go find a room to make ready for that Passover. It's in this particular story tonight that I think really just kind of exemplifies the last week of Jesus. It's that Jesus, in the last week of his life, and really throughout all of his life, and even in his death, Jesus is in complete control. Complete control control. Even when it looks like he's not in control, he's in complete control. Even when it looks like there's not going to be a place to eat the Passover, Jesus has already got preparations made. He's already getting things ready. And that is the one aspect of the message I want us to see tonight, that Jesus is in complete control of everything. We should take great comfort in that fact, amen? that Christ is in control. The Sanhedrin could not take Him until He was ready to be taken. I love one of His last statements before He is arrested falsely to His disciples. He says, even in His
1: arrest, think about this, listen to the words of Christ in Matthew 26, 46. He tells the disciples, Rise, let us be going. Behold, He is at hand that doth betray
0: me. I mean he's in total control. I mean he he walks to them. He could walk the other way. It was dark outside, you know that the middle of the night. Could have did. And he did hide sometimes because it was not his time, but this was his time. And he walks right into it. I love one of my favorite. one of my favorite uh, parts of whenever he is arrested. I think of the whole scene all the way until he's resurrected. Is whenever the, the soldiers say uh, that who they're looking for, and he says, "I am He." And what happens there? The, the power of that just knocks them all down. Uh, then they all stand up squeamishly, no doubt, and say, uh, "We're looking for." who is "Who was that again?" <laughs> you know. Looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Even Luke tells us what he's doing every single morning and every single night. That he's spending the night in Bethany and he's coming back into Jerusalem, but this night will be different. And I'm sure uh, I'm sure upon going to the house where they were going to eat the Passover, I'm sure Judas is probably scratching his head. I mean, I'm sure he's probably wondering, hey, we've gone to Bethany every single night. I, I thought we were going to have Passover there. You know, I thought Mary and Martha and Lazarus had everything ready for us. And Jesus has got a different plan. Judas is left wondering. Judas doesn't know what's happening uh, in, in all of this. In fact, it's kind of intriguing to me that the very first person that Jesus uh, speaks to at the Passover meal is Judas, the very first person that he talks to. In that Passover meal is, is Judas. It's almost like the Lord saying, "I bet you didn't expect this, did you? Didn't expect me to be here." And he tells him to take the sop, and whoever dips in with me, he is the one that betrays me. What is Jesus saying to Judas and what is Jesus saying to us? He's saying, I am in control of the situation. You've got your Bibles turned to Mark 14 and verse 12. Notice what it says.
1: In the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the passovers, his disciples said unto him, Where wilt thou we go and
0: prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? He sent forth two of his disciples, John tells us there Peter and John saith unto them, Go ye into the city, and there shall meet you, a, ye, meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him, and wheresoever he shall go in, say ye to the good man of the house, the master saith, Where is the guest chamber? Where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples, and he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. There, make ready for us. And his disciples went forth and came into the city and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the pastor. And in the evening he cometh with the twelve. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the word of God and we're thankful for your many blessings. Thankful that, God, you're in complete control through your whole life you were, but Lord, this last week of your life, God, is just a prime example of that. Every moment, every turn, every question, you were ready to answer. Even in your death and in your resurrection, God, you're in complete control. I thank you for it. May we see that, or may we be helped in this. Your glory and honor in Christ's name. Amen. If we're going to see that Jesus is in complete control of our life and situations. I think there's just a few things I want to show you tonight. Three of them is that number one, we see we see a prayer of hesitation. We see a prayer or a petition of hesitation. Disciples come to the Lord and they say to him, Lord, where are we going to eat the pastor? Where are Wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? I believe if any of us tonight are going to recognize that Jesus is in complete control, we must be willing to petition the Lord for help. That's got to be the first thing. I love how the disciples... Uh, oh, but we'll see later they, weren't, they themselves weren't prepared. They were willing to ask for help. They
1: were willing to go to the Lord for help and say, God, what do you need? Christ, tell us what we need to do.
0: And Jesus instructs these two trustworthy men, John and Peter, into going to the city and to prepare the Passover meal for them. They asked Jesus, where are we going to eat it? The reason they asked that question is not because necessarily uh, they're worried about where they're going to eat at, but understand what Jerusalem would have been like at this very time. Jerusalem would have been a hustling, bustling, busy beehive of activity. I mean, you had people from all, All over the world, known world at that time, Jews coming in to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. It would have, I mean, uh, to give you a better idea of what the Passover would have looked like, you could go over to like Acts chapter number two and read about all the different languages that the people heard. That was at Pentecost. Kind of a secondary festival in comparison to the Passover. So when the disciples are asking Jesus where we're going to eat the Passover, that's a loaded question. That's not just like, hey, where are we eating at tonight, you know? Everybody loves that question, right? Whenever you get in the car, you know? And where are we eating at tonight? Out. And nobody came to say out
1: <laughs> somewhere.
0: Um, and we all decide on a burger, you know? That's what it ends up being, it seems like. That's not what he's saying. This is a loaded question. It's like uh, the best way that I understood it is this: is it's like uh, whenever F one comes to town, and you suddenly go, "Oh man, my brother-in-law is coming in town. I need to find a, I need to find a hotel for him." Well, good luck with that, you know. Good luck finding him a place to stay. And if you do find one, it's going to cost you arm and a leg. And that's what these guys are thinking. They're thinking, hey. It's the last day. We don't have anywhere to eat. Are we going back to Bethany? Are we staying here? I mean, what are, what are we doing? I, I don't, we don't have the money to afford to rent a room uh, down close to the temple. What, what are we going to do, Jesus? And I love it that Jesus already has the answer ready for you, for them. And that's not unusual for God at all because the Bible teaches us in Isaiah, it says, it says, And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. Amen? Amen. Aren't you glad that God hears before you even call? Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 33, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. So the the key to recognizing that God and Jesus is a complete, and it's not like I need to tell you that, right? Not like I need to preach to you that Jesus is in complete control or Christ is in control. You know, I'm sure the majority of us tonight are going, yeah, I get that, all right? But what I am trying to get us to understand is this, is that we do say that and we do believe that, but do we practice that? Do I practice that? And oftentimes, I find myself not practicing, I find myself repenting and saying, God, I want you to be in complete control. I'm not in control. I'm trying to be in control of this situation, but God, I'm recognizing I'm not in control. You're in control. I need your help. First John says this, he says, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that is Christ. That if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have desired of him. So if Christ is in control, don't be afraid to ask Christ to help you in situations that you're incompetent in. And I'm incompetent in every situation. We should all admit that. I don't know anything. God, you know everything. Jesus is in total control. The last week of Jesus' life, I mean, if you read it, I mean, I was trying to work out the days this week. And, and, and I almost pulling my hair out trying to figure out what happened this day and that day and, and all of these kinds of things. And you can kind of go with their traditions that you would, you, you, per se. But, but it's, it's confusing to dishevel, you know. It's what day happened here and happened there. I know this. Christ died just like He said. Was in the in the tomb for three days and three nights, and I can guarantee you this: He rose again on the first day of the week. All right, Amen. Sunday. All right. Now, how you count three days and three nights, I'll leave that up to you. All right. But the point being is this: You read the Gospels, and it's not like, well, on Thursday Jesus did this, and on Wednesday He did this, and Monday He did that, and you know, it's not like that. You've got to put them all together. It's just, it seems disheveled. It seems out of out of sorts and out of whack. And there's so many particulars happening. When did this happen? And when did that happen? There's so many arguments that he's going through. But in it all, Jesus, this is what I love about it. He's not the least bit phased at all about anything. And anything. The only event that moves Christ to any sort of anxiety is in the garden. When he faces the reality that he's going to be separated from his father. And if there's ever anything that might bring us to some kind of anxiety or
1: worrisomeness, it should be our relationship with God. And whenever
0: sin or whatever it is drives a wedge between us and God, then be anxious. Then you have good reason to be a little stressed. Because nothing should trump our relationship with God. Nothing.
1: Nothing.
0: But Jesus knows. He has the answer before you, before you even ask the question. These disciples come and say, where are we going to eat? Jesus already knew. Alright? This is real simple. I understand this. I mean, we're just talking about going to eat somewhere. But understand too, like I said, it's not that simple. It's not like you could just go down to somewhere and get a place to eat. It wasn't like it wasn't like that. There had to be pre-planning in all of these things. And life isn't simple. Amen? Amen? Life is not simple. None of us that that are that are older. You might say, none of us at 18 said, you know what? This is the way I expect my life to turn out. And that's the way it turned out. None of us did that. But Christ did that. Christ knew. and Christ knows how your life will turn out. That's why it's wise to petition him for help. If you're going to say Jesus is in complete control, then pray. Pray. Secondly, when we recognize that Christ is in complete control, we need to be aware that God will use peculiar situations to direct us and to guide us. That's exactly what happens. Not only do we see a petition for help, but we also see a peculiar situation. This peculiar situation that we find in our text is this. It is that he tells them to go you to the city and there shall you meet a man bearing a picture of water. Follow him. You say, what's so odd and unusual about that? Men do not carry water. As I read one commentary, he said, that's women's work. (laughs) And that's what it was. In those days in the Middle East, that was women's work. All you have to do is turn your Bibles back to the book of Genesis and other places. And what do you find? You find that um, you, you find Rebecca there. She was the one doing the, doing the water work. You find uh, there the woman at the well doing the work of the water. Men don't carry water. We must
1: trust God that whatever answer or event that follows your petition, that you will believe that God
0: is under control. You say it's unusual. That's strange, that's weird. I know. God answers in strange and unusual ways, doesn't he? He has mysterious ways, ways that we don't understand. For men, for Peter and John, I'm sure they left that discussion with Jesus scratching their heads saying, a guy carrying a pitcher of water on his head? That don't happen. Women carry pitchers of water on their head. Men put put water in animal skins and load them up on their camels or maybe load them up in their carts. They don't carry them on their head. That's women's work. That's not man's work. We're not going to find a guy with a... Let's go. Let's go do it. And God may, and God oftentimes reveals His will to you in an unusual and particular way. Nearly every single question that Jesus uh, gives an answer to uh, in the Word, of, in His teachings, every single, every every single one of those answers are answers that you do not expect. Um, should we pay taxes? What does he say? Give me a coin. You know, nobody, nobody had, nobody had the coin ready, right? Somebody had to dig it around in the pocket. You know, there was some lady with a purse. You know, she got it out finally. Said she, take, she gave it to to Jesus. Whose image and superscription is on this? Caesar's. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. The image is, is Caesar on here. Give it to him. But give yourself to God, because the image of God rests upon you. Nobody expected that answer. Nobody. Nobody whatsoever. I love the, 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 the time whenever the Sadducees come, and they talk about this woman that got, gets married to one brother, then another brother, then another. There's this long, complex story about this one woman marrying seven brothers. And Jesus just looks right at him and says, you do error not knowing the scriptures. I mean, he doesn't even even, uh, try to tickle their fancies at all. He just looks right at him and says, you guys don't know the Bible. People aren't given to marriage in heaven. They're as the angels. Don't you know this? I mean, Jesus never, he never, Jesus who is God does things differently. Uh, He gives a sign to Peter and John of a man carrying a picture on his head. He gives to Moses a rod and says, go lead my people. And if you've got any problems, throw it down on the ground and it'll turn into a snake. And if you've got any other problems, hold it up and the red sea will part. It's amazing what God does. What was it that fell down? What was the one thing that fell down from heaven as Elijah went up into heaven? A mantle. A scarf, if you will. Why? Elijah grabs that thing up, whips it around his head, walks over to the Jordan River, then takes it back off and whips that thing onto the Jordan River and he walks over on dry ground. A mantle, a scarf. God uses a scarf. God decided to use a, a handkerchief. Was it with the Apostle Paul? I believe it was. And I, I don't know if he had blown his nose on it or not, but they took it around and they put it on people and they got healed. I mean, God let Balaam. God used a donkey to speak to Balaam. To reveal His will. I can't wait to get that part in on Sunday night. But if you would think that if a man would recognize that I'm doing something wrong, it's when a donkey starts talking to you. Alright? God reveals his will in peculiar and unusual ways. If you ask God for help, God will send the help, but it's probably not going to be in the way that you're expecting. And he reveals to Peter and John that God is going that you're going to meet a man carrying a pitcher of water on his head. Two reasons, I believe, why. It could be that Jesus has set this whole thing up beforehand and had his servant This man with a pitcher of water standing there waiting for the disciples to go to his master's house. And whenever he sees the disciples, he begins walking that way. That doesn't seem to be too far-fetched to me. Jesus has everything in control. He's even, I believe, setting up situations and things in our lives at this very moment for us to step into. Or it could be just that it's an easy sign to follow. Men don't carry pots of water. Women do. So when you see the man, follow him. But however it is that God reveals it to you, follow it. Don't be dissuaded by an unusual event. Don't be discouraged because that isn't normal. Or to put it a better way, uh, if maybe you're not following me, let me just say it like this. I just didn't think that God would do it that way. You ever heard anybody say that? I just didn't think that God would do it that way. Listen, if I could list off to you all the ways that God has helped me and God has guided me and God has directed me to follow him, I guarantee you that perhaps 90 to 95 percent of all of those ways, I would not have thought that would have been the way. I would have not have told you that's the way that God's going to do it. We have a problem. We need to eat the Passover. Jesus says, don't worry. I've got it covered. Followed a guy with a pitcher of water on his head. God works in peculiar ways, in unusual ways, mysterious ways. And then finally we see a prepared helper. Be understanding and don't worry about the situation at hand. Listen, God is already preparing people to help you. This is seen all throughout the Scriptures. But in our case tonight, we see in verse 14, it says, And wheresoever he shall go in, the servant, say ye to the good man of the house, the master saith, Where is the guest chamber? Where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples, and he will show you a large upper room furnished." and prepare there, make ready for us. Not only did Jesus have this male servant carrying a pitcher of water on his head, he also had someone else ready to receive them when they got there. This is what makes me believe that Jesus actually set the situation up beforehand. I never considered this really before, and before I studied this out, I always just kind of thought that this story was just kind of a coincidence, if you will. You know, Jesus tells them, go see this guy, it's a coincidence. They meet the guy, it's a coincidence that this guy's got this room ready and, and it's all kind of just going to work out by coincidence. But really, when you read over the story and what we're going to see here in just a second, there's just too many details. Not that God doesn't work, not that God can work out the details if He doesn't want to. But notice this whole this whole timing. Number one, you have the servant with the water on his head. You have the timing of the event. You have the exact timing that the servant is going to be there whenever the disciples show up into town. All right. You have the good man of the house showing the disciples where the room is at, just by them saying, "The master hath need." Of uh, the place. But all of those things might not move me to believe this was prepared, but pre-planned. But verse 15, and He will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. You don't get a room ready for Passover. If you know how to get it ready for Passover, folks, It ain't like inviting the Joneses over, okay? You clean from top to bottom. You make sure there's not one bit of leaven in that whole entire room. This room was ready in advance. You don't get a room this big ready in 15 minutes. Jesus already had the thing worked out. The room was ready. Everything was already prepared. They had all the necessary items, the plates, the cups, the spoons. I know that the food wasn't ready. Peter and John are going to take care of that. That's part of their mission. But the whole thing is ready to go. Which makes me re examine the last thing that Peter said to Peter to the last thing that Jesus said to Peter and John. He says to them, say to the good man of the house, the master of the house, The Master saith, Where is the guest chamber? This man knew they were coming. He was prepared. He was prepared. Peter and John were prepared, but Jesus and this, I'll call him a secret disciple, he was ready. He was ready to help. Was it Nicodemus? Joseph of Arimathea? I don't know. It doesn't matter who it is. And you and I are not going to know who God is going, how God and how who God is going to use in particular situations to help us in our lives. We aren't prepared oftentimes for the problems that come up. We don't even know the problems that are going to come up. But God is going to prepare people to help us. That's all a part of recognizing that Jesus is in control. That Christ is in control. Pray and ask God for help. Number one, realize that sometimes and many times and probably most of the times that it's going to be done in a peculiar and unusual way. Don't let that dissuade you. Don't let that make you doubt. And then thirdly, see this and have faith that God is going to use somebody else to help you. He's going to prepare other people. When Paul was blind, he prepared an Ananias. When David was defeated, he sent down a Barzillai with all the raisins and figs and cakes. When Moses was tired, he gave him an Aaron and a Hur to hold up his hands. When Naomi was discouraged, he sent to her a Ruth. When Isaac was discouraged and hurt for his mama's death, he gave and prepared for him a Rebekah. Hezekiah was sick to the point of death, and he sent a prophet named Isaiah. And sometimes God is going to send somebody in your life to help you. You don't see them right now. You don't even know they exist, okay? You don't even know where they're at. But I can tell you this, by the Word of God and by the example and the testimony of God's Holy Word, that God is preparing other people to help you and to help me. That's all part of recognizing that God's in control. That God is in this, God's working these things out. I'm not in control. God's in control. Christ is in control. He might even prepare something else. You remember what he did with Jonah? Four things. It says he prepared a fish, he prepared a gourd, he prepared a worm, and he prepared a viet and east wind. Those were things of judgment. God might have to prepare a thing of judgment for us. I'm not getting into that tonight, but I'm just letting you know, it might not be a person. It might be a thing or a what. But whatever it is or whoever it is or however it is, God is preparing things for your help and benefit. And I've seen God, and all of you that are believers here long enough know this, that you've seen God use people in your life that you had no idea that they were going to be used in your life. Five years ago, you never would have thought that God would have brought that person into your life. That God would have given you that person, allowed you to meet that person, allowed you to marry that person. You know? You never even have thought that. But God's got it worked out. And here I would be sometimes... And what's amazing to me is that God actually today I had a problem that came up and uh, God actually used this very message again to remind me Matthew I've got it in control no reason to get mad or frustrated or angry or upset or anything like that I was just talking to somebody before I said John, know this, this is one of them days you know yeah, yeah, it might be one of those days, but you know what? I want to be able to say, you know, it's one of those days, but God's in control. God's in control. I'm trusting Him. He's going to send somebody around to help. I'm not worried about it. He's going he's gonna to direct. He's going to allow some unusual situation to come up that isn't able to be explained to anybody anything else than to say, well, that's a God thing. That's the Lord. God did that. The last week on earth for Jesus is filled with constant twists and turns, but He was ready for every one of them. Even His own life, nobody could take from Him. He was in complete control. John 10, 17 says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me. No man taketh it from me. But I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. That statement alone proves that Jesus is God. For none of us are in complete control of our destiny. None of us are in control of our death. Certainly, None of us are in control of our resurrection. That's God. But Jesus was in complete control over His death and over His life. And if that's true about Himself, how much more is it true of you and of me? Be willing. Be willing to petition and pray and ask God for help. Be aware
1: he's going to use peculiar and unusual situations to guide you and to direct you. And then be understanding that God has prepared people for your help and benefit. Christ is in control. Father, we're thankful for the Word of God. Thank you that you give